Please join me for a word of prayer. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This week we begin a five-week sermon series on the love of God, the nature of the love of God, the experience of the love of God, the pursuit of love of God in the church. By way of introduction for this series and for this morning, let's ponder our reaction to these three simple words, God loves you. What is our reaction to those words? Let me just share with my reaction or a potential reaction for all of us. The first is, well, I've heard it before. Right? We've seen the bumper stickers, God loves you, usually with a little heart and a U. Uh, we pass the uh, billboards, and it doesn't strike us as very new. So our first reaction may be, big deal. Tell me something new. I've heard it before. So to disregard as boredom, or maybe we disregard these words, God loves you, as irrelevant. Sure, we've learned that God loves you. We learned John 3.16, maybe in Sunday school. But how is this, is this information relevant otherwise? What does it matter to me one way or the other, if God loves me or if, if he doesn't? So may not disregard out of boredom, but may just dismiss as irrelevant. Who cares? Third and final reaction, we may be, may be, yeah, right. You've seen the billboards, you've memorized the Bible verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But as you open your eyes to the world which he loves, you read the front page of the newspaper, you think, huh, I just do not see much evidence of God's love for the world. Three possible reactions to these three important words. God loves you. To ignore out of boredom, to disregard as irrelevant, or to doubt with skepticism. However, when Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was not regurgitating yesterday's news. He was telling them something new, new news, good news. When Jesus said God so loved the world, he was not communicating something for us only to memorize as a Bible verse in third, school, third grade Sunday school. He was telling us something with transformative potential, information that could change individuals' lives, change the direction of a culture, the nation, no exaggeration to change the course of the world. When God said, when Jesus said, God so loved the world, he was third and finally telling us how we can be certain of God's love, how we can be assured that God does love the world despite what you may see in the newspaper, despite evidence which may be, seem to be to the contrary. So please turn in your service leaflet to page 11. You'll find three notes that will guide our thoughts for this morning. First, God's love. What is it? In other words, why is Jesus' news about God's love not boring? Second, what does it do? Why is news about God's love not irrelevant? Third, and finally, where do we find it? Why or how we can believe in the God who loves you, or the love of God for you? So first, the love of God. What is it? Let's spend just a little 
time defining this word love. Because as we use the word love, it's fairly broad in its definition. Just think of the number of ways you and I use the word love. I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love the church. I love our nation. I love my kids. I love a lot of things. But the love I have for each of those different objects is very different. I don't love ice cream in the same way I love my wife or my children. Although the same word, those same words, love, that same word, loves, means something very different in each of those sentences. Now, classical languages, and the Bible was written in Greek, classical languages used a little bit more, uh, were a little bit more specific. So when we use one word for the word love, the ancient Greeks used four words. And I'm not talking about the biblical authors, I'm just talking about the secular writers of the day use four words to, for our one word love. See, as Lewis wrote about this in his book, The Four Loves, this will be a very brief book report, bear with me. The first type of love that uh, is used, or the first word for love is the love eros, E-R-O-S, which is the love between lovers. It is romantic love. When we say, I fell in love, that is the type of love that we fall into. Eros, romantic love. But there are other types of love. The love that exists between friends, that love, that word is philia, from which we have the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The love between friends is different. It's no better, it's no worse than the love between lovers. It is simply different. There is a third type of love, a love that exists between family members. Different still between the of the love between friends or the romantic love. No better, no worse, but different. And these are the three words that classical Greek used for the word love. However, when Jesus said God loved the world, he did not use the word for familial love, friendship, nor romantic love. He used a word which was largely unused up until that point. He used a very important word, agape. God so agape the world. And from this point forward, whenever the biblical authors talk about the love of God, they use this word, agape. Whenever the biblical authors describe the love that is to be between the Christians and the church, they use the word agape, love one another, agape one another. It's almost as if Jesus and the church following invented a new word, or at least they uh, filled an underused word with new meaning. And what does it mean? Let's define it first in John chapter 3, verse 16, as the verse we'll spend the, our majority of our time on. John chapter 3, verse 16 tells us a little bit of the nature of agape love. First, agape is not an emotion. Agape is costly and deliberate, a deliberate choice and a costly gift. For God so loved the world that he gave. That little word, so, is not telling us the degree of God's love, as if God loves us so, so much. No, that little word, so, is telling us the manner in which God expresses his love. He expresses his love in his giving, his costly and deliberate giving, his costly giving and his deliberate choice. Now let's just compare this. If you asked a young couple in love, if you had asked, my wife and I are approaching our 20th anniversary, 
if you'd backed up the clock 20 years ago and said, what does it feel like to be, what is it like to be in love? We would have described love primarily in emotion. It feels, it feels like my heart's on fire or whatever silly thing young people in love might say. Love, romantic love, eros is described in emotions. But if you were asked to ask God what love is, he would describe his love with actions. To love is to choose to give and to give sacrificially. Author Peter Kreeft, who I, I rely on heavily for this sermon series, wrote this. We fall into romance. We fall into eros. Isn't that true? We, I just can't help myself. We rise in agape, a deliberate, sacrificial choice. Further, God's love is unselfish. He gives solely for the benefit of others. And I guess that's love at its best is always that, but God's love is completely centered on the other. He gave his great sacrificial gift, his son, was for our great good, our eternal life. And his great gift for our great good reveals his great love. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus, God loves the world, within an agape love, a deliberate choice, a sacrificial gift, an unselfish love. Jesus is not telling Nicodemus something that he already knows. He is telling them something that has never been heard before, that God loves the world, not with a romantic love, not with the fondness that exists between a family, but God's love is something new, something different, something unheard of to date. Not old news. Let's move to our second point. Fine, it's not old news. Then how is it relevant to me? Why would it matter one bit if I knew God loved me or if I didn't? Well, let's consider. Last week, we had a very powerful testimony from Angie Hazlitt, who spoke about her work. Angie's work is to protect children. Because, as we know, as she shared, not every child is raised in a loving home. Some children are raised in the opposite of a loving home. And her job, and the job of others, is to intervene for the benefit of the child when love is absent from a child's home. Because it is absolutely essential for the health, for the well-being, of a child that they know that they are loved. Now, I am no child psychiatrist, but I can't imagine anyone would disagree with this statement that a child's experience of a parent's love is one of the most, if not the most important factor in a child's development. A parent's love provides a bedrock, a foundation for the child. A child's confidence as a young person, their courage, their humility, their self-respect, their self-worth are all qualities that are, that are intimately tied to the experience of love within that child's home. Love transforms, absolutely. On a lighter note, maybe you've seen Charlie Brown's Christmas Carol, or Christmas Story. Remember the end, Charlie Brown goes to buy a tree and he, as Charlie Brown does, messes up. He buys a scrawny little twig. 
And of course, Charlie Brown is laughed off the stage, and little Linus is left looking at that tree. And he says, you know, I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. And then what does he say? It just needs a little love. And with a little love, he and the rest of the peanut gang transform that scrawny little twig into a beautiful tree. And the same thing is true for every child. Love transforms, transforms children of any age. That includes you and me. Throughout the Bible, we heard it in our passage this morning, the Bible holds out hope of a radical transformation that will occur for all people, all children of God. It begins all the way back in the Old Testament that our hearts would be made hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, that God would write his law on our hearts. Now just think of what a remarkable statement that is, that you and I would not be compelled to follow God's law. We would joyfully want to follow God's law. Take me to church. Let me give. Let me do all those things, not out of grudging, which is not always that bad, uh, but out of a desire that God's law would be on our hearts. And the same image of radical transformation is picked up in the New Testament. We heard it this morning that Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Same image of radical transformation. What is the only power that can melt the heart to give you and me a heart of stone to cause us to be reborn? Answer, the power of love. Martin Luther King Jr. was accurate when he said, love is the only power that can transform an enemy into a friend. Love is the only power that can change our nature, can change our hearts. Love is the only power that can cause us to be born again. How can Nicodemus be born again? Answer, encounter the agape love of God. And we need to encounter as a people, as a church, as a culture, we need now more than ever to encounter the agape and transformative love of God. I reference uh, a prayer retreat that I, go, that I uh, go on every week before the school year. And I try to maintain radio silence. That means no internet, no TV, uh, no, no input. And about day three of radio silence, I came to a startling revelation. I realized the amount of anger and anxiety that we all sort of swim in. I'm not talking about you individually as people. I'm just talking about our culture in general. The amount of anger about politics or race, the amount of anxiety exacerbated by uh, the pandemic. We live in a time of unprecedented anger and anxiety. Again, not you individually, but these, this is the water that we swim in. None of us wake up thinking, you know what? I want to be angry and anxious today. That's my goal. I want to go to bed angry and anxious. None of us. Rather, the type of people we desire to be, I trust, are gentle, principled, forbearing, noble, courageous, how can we get from where we are to where we want to be? Answer, you must be born again. 
And how can you be born again? You can be born again, made new, given a heart of flesh. Have God's law risen on your heart if and when you encounter his love for you. So to our third and final point. God's love for you, where do you get it? Where do you find it? Our passage, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This passage is telling us the primary way in which God reveals his love. Can you find God's love for you in creation? Sure, you can find hints of God's love for you in creation, but that is not reliable because sometime creation is not a great exhibit for God's love. Can you find God's love in his providential care for you, his answering of prayers, his sustaining you through difficult times? Certainly. But that, again, is an unreliable indicator. The reliable revelation, the reliable indicator of God's love for you and me is found in the giving of his son so that we might be saved. Where did God give his son that we might be saved? On a cross, on a hill, in between two thieves. That is where God's love for the world is fully, completely expressed. Our service will conclude with one of the great hymns of our faith by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count as loss and I pour contempt on all my pride. So see from his hands, his feet, sorrow and love that flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? He concludes, were the whole realm of nature mine, I'd give it all. That is the testimony of a man who has been born again. That is a testimony of a man who has encountered the agape, the transformative love of God, and counts everything else as loss in comparison. And we must do what he did. Survey the wondrous cross. See from his hands and feet the sorrow and love that flows mingled down. God's love displayed on the cross is the only power that can change the heart. God's love is new, his agape love for you and me, his deliberate choice, his sacrificial giving, his unselfish direction of his love is new. It is unlike any love that you and I have ever experienced or ever expressed. God's love for you and me is relevant. It is powerful, the only force capable of, of changing the human heart. Third and finally, God's love is certain, fully and finally expressed in the giving of his son. Do not ignore God's love for you. Do what Isaac Watts did. Survey the wondrous cross. See from his hands and feet the sorrow and love as they flow mingled down. Please rise. <laughs>